0: Well, 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 I see y'all are crawling back for more Wolf the Dog. And it don't matter if I'm broadcasting in contention, the city, or anywhere else in the galaxy. Everybody always wants a taste of old Wolfie boy. Well, I am here hitting you live from 694.2 PTBP to let y'all feast upon my mouth sounds. I hope it's real satiating for y'all. This week's Howlin' with Wolf comes from Dr. Colossus, who is an honorary police officer on our Patreon and a member of the community over on the subreddit. They tagged at PretendingPod in a tweet, which is just about the sweetest thing to old Wolf. Dr. Colossus writes... Time for old Wolf to come clean my pups. The audio adventures of the Contention PD are just a cover to distract from my own insidious efforts to dominate the national radio landscape. Today Contention, tomorrow the city, later on the world. I can tell you this now, because it's too late to stop it. There's nowhere to hide, as my hypnotic suggestions surf the electromagnetic waves straight into your ear holes and hack your brain stems. My dominion is nearly absolute. Remember, the trigger phrase is plate of foot meat. Thank you, Dr. Colossus, for ruining the surprise. My producer and I were going to start by buying out all the local radio stations in every small town so that Wolf the Dog could have a grassroots movement of domination. Then, I'd begin the persuasion. Real nice, real slow. You see, I got time. There's no one else for them to even listen to. Draw them all in with honeyed words and promises of infinite foot meat. Then, when the time was right... (laughs) Well, y'all just gonna have to wait and see, I guess. Remember, if you want to write up something for your wolf to howl, tag at Pretending Pod on Instagram or Twitter. Tag pretending to be people on Facebook or write a five-star review and email us at pretendingpod at gmail.com. Y'all, I need that positive motivation from you beautiful people because life in the city is strange. Yesterday, I saw two pigeons eating a rat. Whenever I went over to try and scare them away, they hissed at me like a rabid raccoon before skittering off. They didn't even fly, y'all. They just ran away real fast. Please remember, my dear listeners, we got ourselves a Patreon now. The link is in the show notes. And if you can't support us with your money, please write a review on iTunes. And if you already wrote a review, please steal your friends' phones and write a review on their iTunes. And if you don't have friends, go to the nearest Apple store and write a review on iTunes from every phone and tablet on display in the whole fucking place. And while you're there, grab that aux cord that's connected to the speaker system and warn everyone that shit is about to slap. It's Kutsu with no back oh.
1: Thank me, flank me, call me stanky, stinky.
2: (laughs) That means you yourself admitted yourself that you love your (laughs)
1: mother-in-law. Are you ready? Yeah. John Lee Pettymore, you are standing outside a storage unit. A massive yellow symbol has been spray painted on the door. The symbol is a wonky question mark with two lines, one curved and one straight, jutting down from the question mark's dot. The storage unit door slides up, and inside is the thick brush of well-wooded land. In the distance, you see a small cabin. Looking down, your hands are covered in blue paint, and you are holding one of those small silver spheres. It feels warm in your hands. It has a nice weight to it. And then you see a sky of endless darkness. Far out in front of you, through this thick, interminable nothing, you see two children standing completely still, holding hands, and you hear the sounds of torment. Agony and loss in an audio medium, you lose the ability to see, smell, feel anything, as the wretched noise overwhelms your senses. You open your eyes, and you're staring up at a ceiling, and you look to the left, you look to the right, and you see corpses. And it smells overwhelmingly like blood and viscera and death and shit, other bodily fluids spilled out. You see the body of John Lee Pettimore IV, your body, but not your current body. And you see the body of Rich Nichols, the man that led you from room to room in this layer of Marvin Glass, what do you do?
2: I look down at my at my new body, and what do I see?
1: Well, honestly, the body of Kevin, or as we'll call him, John Lee Pettymore.
2: I guess I'd like to find a mirror.
1: Okay, one of the uh, one of the files in this room, one of the file cabinets, has the uh, the front of it is actually uh, reflective, reflective, extremely reflective. Looking in, you see this man who is uh he looks like a broken version of your daddy that you knew from when you were a child a very young child but he is he's is much older he, he may be my father but he ain't my daddy <laughs> <laughs> um, and you got you you see you have you to now have uh surgical scars all down your neck and jawline on either side and and these, like, crazy eyes. And you're just an older man. you basically the same build. You still have a, a mustache. You know, there's a lot of similarities. I want to look at my old body and see where I came out of. Oh, yeah. So uh, it's very clear that uh, you came out of the back of the neck. Okay.
2: What do I feel like? Do I feel like a person or like... Something wrapping itself around a host.
1: Well, you feel like you've always felt. Okay. Makes
2: sense. So I, uh, John Lee Pettymore kind of shudders as he looks at his old body. I want to, I want to basically pretend to be Kevin as long as I can.
1: Okay. So let's discuss the mechanical changes out of character for John Lee Pettymore the third. (laughs) Yeah. What am I now? (laughs) So uh as I've described on the last two episodes for the other boys we have we've have decided to adapt some of the rules from pulp cthulhu we'll fold them into this campaign and in doing so we have given each of the PCs two talents from the pulp cthulhu rulebook Thomas you chose quick healer In this game, we roll 1d4 to get new hit points for each day. And in your case, you'll get 1d4 plus three. Oh, tight. Every day. Cool. And then you also chose clairvoyance. Basically, how we're going to do that is I'm going to trust you to not use this every second that we're playing the game. That's a mistake. Yeah, I think that's fair. But here's what I'm going to allow you to do you can spend 10 luck at any point in time to Mm -hmm. like dive into your internal self and have a vision. Cool. Also with your, uh, with your character for the stuff, you hit a breaking point yesterday as well, I believe. Um, probably no, I've got 22 as your breaking point. No, 20 is my breaking point and it's, it's very hard to see. Right. So that means you're actually extremely close to your... Or 28? There's no way that's a 28. It's a 22. Okay. Yeah. Then you are extremely close to your third breaking point. What happens on your third breaking point? Well, we will hit that when we get there. However, okay. on your uh, on your first breaking point, when we did that, we had the idea that you were going to have to put your life in danger to save others, basically. You were going to throw yourself in in harm's way to, to save others. And if you didn't, then there would be a willpower disadvantage for you the next day. Mm-hmm. That is going to be subsumed by this next breaking point situation, which is when you roll sanity, if you fail and the roll would also fail on a power check, what's your power? 60. So if you roll on a sanity check and you roll over 60 so, yeah. then you are going to split into a mind and a body at odds with each other okay <laughs> and that is a uh, a, a load of role-playing that yeah. i am heaping onto your very uh, capable talents all right i believe in you let's remember that mechanic You walked into this room and it, it was filled with filing cabinets. right? And
2: and my file was sitting out open.
1: John Lee Pettymore Fourth's file was sitting out open on the table as was a file regarding uh, some people that ended up being Kevin. As you were like getting up and looking around this room in your new body, you hear a voice from behind you. Hey, Kevin, come on. Marvin wants to talk to us. Uh,
2: so without saying anything, I just told up a- one finger, like, wait a second. And I want to real quick see if um, I can find a file for Clark and Keith.
1: Okay. Go ahead and roll search for me. 35. Uh, Let's see what my search is. 50. All right. Then you are good. And actually, um, in your new body, we're going to up your hit points and willpower all the way to full. Full for John Lee Pettymore? Full for John Lee Pettymore. Okay. We're going to keep all your... Mixed, yeah, all your takes st- after his dad. Yeah, exactly.
2: Ooh, that puts me up to 20 hit points and 12 willpower.
1: Okay, so yeah, I passed the uh, search rule. So you open this most reflective file cabinet, and it just so happens to have three file names that catch your eye. One says Clark Bishop, and it is completely empty. Another says Keith Vigna, and it too is completely empty both of these file folders are they're like extremely crisp uh and new unlike the third folder you find titled contention pd which is so worn it is turned a noticeably different color uh opening it you see a lot of recent news stories file clippings, uh, newspaper clippings that are cut out and put into this folder and they all have to do with the police force and whether or not you guys weren't handling missing persons cases or you were firing weapons into the air in public or you were harassing citizens. There are plenty of news articles written about the contention PD that have come out in the past three or four days that have been grouped into this folder.
2: Uh John Lee Pettymore, Moore, the third and fourth, mutters of fake news. <laughs> um, and and stashes the file back where he found it
1: and follows Rosemary. So you guys go out the hallway into the elevator and I, I wanna I wanna try out Kevin, like some spy craft as Kevin.
2: So I'm just gonna be like uh, uh, how how you doing Rosemary?
1: Well uh Everything's going exactly as planned, so pretty fucking good, Kevin. (laughs)
2: That's that's great. It's not out of character for
1: me to ask you how you're
2: doing, is it? I mean, we haven't chatted like this in years, but... Well, it's a good day. Everything's
1: going as planned. Yeah, I wasn't going to question it.
2: What part of the plan are we at? What do you mean? Where are you on your part of the plan? I know where I am. But what have you what have you accomplished?
1: Well, I think that's why we're uh, I think that's why we're going to see Marvin for us. he's probably gonna send us to go collect the money now. Great, perfect, yeah. So you guys make it to the top of the uh, elevator ride, and the door opens, and there's a long hallway, and at the end of the hallway, there is a ten by ten slab of black marble, and four guards two on either side of the enormous and strange door that slowly slides open as you approach. And the guards are in full brown jumpsuits. And they each have a large scythe strapped to their backs and the blade of each scythe is shaped like an enormous fish hook. A closer look reveals these men have unnatural matching faces. Their eyes are far apart, almost on either side of their face. Their noses do not jut out, but are rather two slits above their two wide, thick-lipped mouths, and they have a few flaps on either side of their necks. Fishmen. <laughs> uh, walking into I, this... I knew it. <laughs> this whole time... I knew it. It was the fish. <laughs> Uh, when you walk into this room, uh, you see it's the size of a basketball court. To your left, one of the long walls is entirely made of glass, and there is murky greenish water on the other side, like an aquarium, but it's of staggering proportions. Marvin Glass is standing behind a table, arms folded behind his back, uh, staring off into the distance. And again, he is just massive and gaunt all at the same time and he is still wearing that fitted black tuxedo that you have seen him before and when you turn you see his weird hole in his face where his mouth should be is still just covered in this circle of red lipstick and that hole begins moving
3: hello Kevin hello Rosemary you have been doing excellent work for me recently and we are moving into the final phase of contentions demolition I need the two of you to go retrieve
1: and as he's saying this you notice that uh, behind them there are these windows and you see lights just like crazy lights just like shining in and off it looks like there's something happening in that room uh, behind him, but you can't quite tell what it is. But whatever it is, there's a lot of movement with lights, and it's uh, it's getting out of out of control back there. Kevin thinks I'll probably hear that in
2: another episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Looking around the room, you see uh, that on uh, Marvin's desk there is one of those small silver spheres sitting on like a little uh, tripod holder uh, that's holding <laughs> it up. And that's it, that's awesome because I knew he had
2: one yeah. from that the tape and now I don't have to go looking for it. <laughs> it's right
1: there. Yeah, you can see it. And he continues on saying,
3: "The money, as Rosemary said, and
1: Rosemary cuts in. Yeah, there's um, <clears throat> let's see, there's uh, there's five million dollars in the police station, and then there's five million dollars at the house of uh, one of the police officers." that is extremely
3: good work rosemary i just have one request on your way to contention i need you to go check in on a new venture i've begun you see stan manstein his daughter's funeral is today i believe it begins rather shortly and he will be out in the world For the first time in a very long time, I have sent your new Charles, Keith Vigna, one of the officers from the Contention Police Department, to go bring Stan Manstein back to me. Rosemary and Kevin, I need you to go make sure that our new family member completes his job.
2: I nod again. Kevin thinks it's very appropriate that Vigna's the new Charles, considering he killed the first one. Um, <laughs> oh shit! I didn't even think about that. That's so good. He's like, that's that's justice for Keith <laughs> in some small measure. um While we're all still in front of Marvin Glass, I wanna I
1: wanna clear my throat. And <clears throat> mm. he turns quickly and looks at you. Uh, I heard Rosemary.
2: Brought the gun instead of the money We're going to get Why'd you do that Rosemary
1: They both look at you And Rosemary turns and starts laughing <laughs> I know I'm not very quick but And she like looks at Marvin She's like that's why we don't That's why we don't trust old Kevin here With making the plans huh sir And Marvin laughs, <laughs>, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess so. In my attempt to shame Rosemary in front of Marvin has failed miserably. <laughs> I was really trying to sow some division, but uh, nope.
1: I think you did great. So <laughs> you, uh, he kind of, with a flick of his hand, you know, waves you off, and the door moves back out of the way, and you guys take the elevator back up to the top after loading up with uh, some heavy artillery, I would assume.
2: Rosemary, you know them because of what they've done to my brain. I don't remember the plans too well. Why did you get the gun instead of the money? Well,
1: okay. Well, I... am I already got in a shootout with those police officers, and they did not stop. Like, I thought for sure that they were going to keep going until they just blew my brains onto the concrete. And uh, I don't trust them to, to to have not stopped the second time. And so I, I obviously not wanting to get shot. I hate getting shot. You know, I hate getting shot. So I, uh, you know, just figured that was the easiest way. Kevin grunts,
2: but uh, John Lee Pettymore or the thing that was John Lee Pettymore. Uh, is pretty pleased that she was like actually intimate. Like we were something of a force to be reckoned with, at least. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: some sort of
2: pride. <laughs> we yeah we made some small impact <laughs> in her plans.
1: So as you guys, uh, the elevator opens, and then all of a sudden you are just standing in an alleyway in the city, and the sun is shining in, kind of bright from the from a low angle and there's fog in this alleyway and you look over and you see a group of raucous like rowdy people like people that you wouldn't expect at 10 a.m but maybe in the city that's more normal there's at least 12 of them and they all walk up to this uh this alleyway that you're in and there's a large grate on the ground and they all stand on it and they all hold up their dirty dog key fobs at the same time and the grate Seems to disappear and they all just fall straight down into it.
2: Interesting.
1: These dirty dog passes, they're like the keychains
2: that John Peters had? Yeah. Okay. And that's sitting in lockup, evidence lockup,
1: most likely? Most likely. Cool. Turning away from that, Rosemary clicks the beeper on her white Toyota and the two of you hop in and begin making your way to the city cemetery. Luke, after leaving this meeting with Marvin Glass, you head back down the hallway into the elevator that you came in on and you ride up to the top and it leads you back to the parking garage that you drove into when you came with your partners and Doug Jacobs and the body of Agent Trent Chad and Rosemary. And when you arrive up there, there are still uh, the same guards up there, wearing suits and earpieces, and your police cruiser from Contention is also
4: sitting exactly where it was before. Do I see any of my friends? No, you do not. I go over to the car and I get in. Uh, when you get into the car,
1: you see that you had actually left your cell phone in here this whole time. I believe
4: you're wearing uh, boat shoes and... Boat shoes, the uh, oversized shorts that are... <laughs> teal I think some sort of blue and, cerulean of some and sort. then a orange a way too tight orange polo so you look
1: great and yeah, I do. you get back into your cruiser and when you look at your cell phone you see that you have a bunch of missed calls and a voicemail from Drew Andrews
4: okay I I listen to the voicemail
3: oh fuck Keith Keith Keith, you gotta... get Somebody, somebody, please answer somebody. You guys... Oh, fuck. Everybody is everywhere now. You have to tell everyone. Everyone, please. Please, you have to get as far away. You have to get as far away as possible from here. It's growing. It's growing.
1: I want to call Drew. When you call Drew, it goes straight to voicemail. Fuck.
4: My first reaction is to drive back to contention, but... He also said get a- away, but I got to go save Drew. Okay. Oh, do I have the camera with me?
1: No. When you look inside the police cruiser, you find that it has been stripped of many of the items that you came here with. Okay. And then what did we,
4: who is the gun? The gun's gone. Some, the gun is gone for yeah. sure. Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. <sighs> You've got some guns. Right, but not, left.
4: but not the gun, the tubed
1: gun. Not the tubed gun. And the you, camera's gone. The camera's gone. The body armor's all gone. Okay, yeah. You were just left with a couple guns, and then Marvin actually gave you your small, small powerful, powerful gun.
4: Yeah. When is this funeral? Oh, it starts in like half an hour. You've just enough time to like make it there. Okay, I guess hopefully Drew calls me back or something, but uh, I guess gonna head to this funeral... If I have just enough time, I guess I can't go get my dress clothes on, so I'm gonna be dressed for a different occasion. But (laughs)
1: styling, yeah, maybe stand out like a sore thumb, maybe not. We'll see. So you uh, you drive to the city cemetery, and I don't know if Keith has been here before, but the city cemetery is all... Oh, it
4: is in the city? It is in the city, yeah.
1: And it's all above ground. Oh, like New Orleans style. Exactly. So there are, as you drive up, you park, and then there are countless tombs winding aimlessly about, creating all these odd little pathways. The mausoleums are just tall enough to look down on you as you pass through, and the morning fog adds an extra layer of disorientation.
4: I'm kind of wandering through, trying to find people, and then I I get a whiff of a... Is that... It smells like a crawfish boil. <laughs> and I, I head to where the smell is coming from. And as you
1: head to... Uh, as you follow your nose, uh, you find that in a small clearing there is a funeral service set up for Ari Manstein. Surrounded by these ornate and menacing graves, there are a handful of rows of chairs, all facing a small podium next to a coffin. And I'm going to hold up this whiteboard here and show you. Okay. (laughs) Where would you like
4: to uh are those seats yeah the circles are seats i want to go to the very front row mm-hmm. on the, the on the very like middle okay
1: you head toward the front row where's on the, the
4: where's the crawfish boil pot at uh it is behind the uh, coffin no it's actually right in front of the coffin okay cool so i'll once it's all done i'll you want to be first in line first in
1: line absolutely and as you walk up there, uh, Jan Manstein, the mother of Ari Manstein, uh, walks towards you to greet you.
3: Oh my goodness, oh,
1: oh, I just, I didn't think you would come, or maybe I did, I thought maybe there was a chance that you weren't gonna come, but you know, last minute, and then I don't know where your partners are, but this is just, I I couldn't be any happier, or sadder, sadder technically, I guess I am at my daughter's funeral, but thank you.
4: Yeah, I wouldn't miss it, the other uh, police officers send their condolences they're a bit incapacitated right now though but i wouldn't miss it for the world and uh she moves on flitting about to many
1: of the other uh funeral attendees and you take a seat in the front row
4: okay
5: All right, yeah, I'm good.
1: Yeah, you are. One of the best, they all say. That's what literally everyone has agreed on. We all came together, put our thumb on the thing, showed that we pledged our allegiance to you.
5: (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, everyone.
1: Clark, you just came to on this table in the middle of this odd dungeon-style room, and you were looking... At Chief Maggie Cook or Maggie Cook now, and she backs away from you pretty quickly as soon as the weird squamous, like worm-like creature with the mouths is back in the ground. She steps back and she looks at you and she's, oh, okay, I didn't expect that. Um, all right, so Clark, you, um, are you? How? You. When you came back, I know we went over this, but how how was it that you are still alive? I mean,
5: your your guess is as good as mine. I, in fact, I, I would hope it'd be better.
1: Okay, well, I'll I'll keep thinking on it, and I'll let you know what I come to. But for now, you need to get going. So, basically, as soon as you're finished up, you can do pretty much whatever you can head back to contention you can hang out in the city we'll put you up here if you'd rather stick around and be close but this job isn't a daily situation or it won't be at first we'll get you trained up and uh working more and more often but for now you can pretty much go back to contention get your affairs in order and uh pack up everything because your life there it doesn't doesn't have to stay there you can you can move here you can you can move wherever you need to be and uh and we'll we'll stay in contact with you either way
5: you said it's not a, a daily thing i mean the thing i saw it 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 shook me to my core maggie i I'll, I'll make it a daily thing. I,
1: let's let's stop it. Let's make it not be. All right, all right, Clark. I like your passion. I like your fire. This is exactly what we need in this organization right now is fire. All right. So, take this, and she pulls a burner phone out of her pocket and she hands it to you. Take this, and I'll be in contact with you. I'll 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 hit you up tomorrow. I'll make sure that we get going.
5: All right. Hey, hey, Maggie. Do you know anything about my partners?
1: No, no, I don't. They they dropped off the radar about when you did, so I, I have no idea what they're up to. If they're uh
5: if they're still with us and I had the opportunity, would you be willing to take them into the circle with us?
1: Do you think they're ready?
5: I mean they've seen the same things I have.
1: Yeah, but are they ready? I don't know, Maggie. Well, you be the judge of that let me know all right Clark you being a part of this that means I trust you and we're gonna rely on each other a whole lot moving forward so if you say they're ready then I believe you all right
5: i I, I thank you Maggie and I, I hope you know that I've always always trusted you I wouldn't have I wouldn't have stuck around in that 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 dead-end job especially
0: well,
1: Clark, you're not at a well. I guess you are still in a bit of a dead end job. If
5: poor, poor choice of words, Maggie. I'm mean sorry. That at
1: the end we're all going to be dead. So, in order for that not to happen, let's get you moving, all right? And so she leads you back up top, back into the parking lot of the mill, and sets you up with a car. It's a little silver Honda Accord, and she hands you the keys. What gear did you decide to bring from the from the room that we were just in?
5: That room that spawned anything and everything that I would ever need Uh Of course Yeah, yeah. what'd you pick up? A gun Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, 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 You guys have all those old contention police department uniforms in there I went ahead and got uh, uh, an old uniform of mine
1: Amazing, yeah, you look great in it still
5: And, uh, oh, you got any of those uh, Leon gave me this gun that shot these tranquilizer darts that uh, made people do things you got any of those left?
1: You know what? Uh, we are actually out of that serum right now. We just used Dag the last nabbit. of it to make sure we could get the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation on our side. We thought that might be quite important. Do you have any left over from when you were doing that? Or
5: I believe uh, the Glass family now possesses that item. The Glass
1: family? Oh, boy. Okay, well, then this thing is a bit more convoluted than I... Hey, Maggie, can I know why I'm killing Stan? Yeah, he needs to die. Okay. Is that good enough for you right now? I guess it's going to have to be. And she turns around and walks back to the mill. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, you hop in the car, and you're heading off to the city cemetery. And the car is actually low on gas, so you have to stop and fill it up on the way over there. And while you're filling it up, I need you to roll an alertness check for me.
5: Ooh, boy. Uh, I pass a 32 on a
1: 70. So you feel this movement behind you as you're filling up this car, your car now, and you turn around just in time to see that something has been dropped into the passenger seat of your car from a woman who is now 10, 15 yards away and is running away from you.
5: Can I get any sense of who she is? Any chance I've seen her before?
1: Just from the back, it is an average build woman with dark hair. I'm peeking
5: in through my the window I'm closest to to see what's been dropped.
1: It looks like a cell phone.
5: Huh. I go around and pick it up.
1: You walk around the car, open the door, pick up the cell phone, and the cell phone immediately buzzes with a text message. And it says do you want to know why your parents were killed? Joe just made the funniest <laughs> face. <laughs> it's like a, Ooh, mixed with like a,
3: what?
0: <laughs> uh,
5: boy, I don't know. I, uh, first of all, before I reply to anything, I want to do a, just a quick little look through the menus on this phone. Do I see anything else? Old text messages, a sign of a phone number anywhere, contacts.
1: Looks like this phone is completely blank, except for this one text that is now in your inbox. I, I just reply, who is this? Okay. And then you hop back in the car and head uh, back on your way to the city cemetery. And when you arrive, uh, I don't know if Clark has been to the city cemetery before, but it is all above ground. Mausoleums and such? Exactly. So you pull up to a parking lot and then you walk in to the city cemetery underneath this big gate it's that like old, like iron rot that kind of spells city cemetery in the gate and you walk through and you're now in these windy, endless seeming walkways that you're surrounded by these tall tombs, mausoleums on either side that are looking down on you and it's morning and there's fog all through. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, eventually you, um, you smell, this um, fishy scent, this seafood scent of some sort it smells almost like a, like the new Orleans party in this cemetery. And you follow your nose to a small clearing, <laughs>
5: follow your nose <laughs>
1: <laughs> to a and my small... feet lift up off the ground. Uh-huh, that's exactly right.
5: <laughs> and I float. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, as you approach, you can see that there in the distance, uh, there's a small clearing and inside the clearing, there's a funeral service set up for Ari Manstein. A handful of rows of chairs, and they're all facing a podium next to a coffin. And you can probably see from where you're at, you're far enough away to where no one's really paying attention to you so far. But looking in, you see Jan Manstein, the mother of Ari, Mm -hmm. and you see Keith Vigna, and he is wearing Sperry's boat shoes. I believe uh, blue coral uh, shorts that are very small or big I can't quite remember <laughs> um, and then I think they're too big that would make sense and then a, uh, a, a like an orange polo that is extremely tight I don't know necessarily you don't know why he's wearing that but that is what he's wearing how's
5: he looking physically like in the face and maybe even his hair
1: he looks pretty good from the from a distance you know you can't really uh, see but you were in the cage when you watched him die yeah So, this might be a confusing sight for old Clark Bishop. Yeah. Then again, you've been through some stuff. (laughs) You yourself, perhaps, might have an inkling that it's easier than you thought to come back from the other (laughs) side. Who knows? Oh, this makes sense. So, basically, this is the setup. I'm holding up a whiteboard with the setup, and uh, Keith is on the front row in front of the coffin. Uh, In front of the coffin, there is a crawfish crawdad boil going on, which is causing the scent uh, to be overwhelming in this area.
5: Is that uh, as weird to Clark as it is to Joe?
1: It's as weird to you as it is to me.
5: Okay. Yep. Good. I didn't know if that was a tradition that you knew about that I don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's the classic city... Ritual, gotcha. Yeah. Um, that everyone knows about. It was in your. Uh, it was in your package that you were supposed to read before you came <laughs> in today.
5: Yeah,
1: uh, Zach. It was a hundred pages. I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to be prepared. So basically, <laughs> I, I I need you to pick a spot to set up. Uh, where you're going to be. You can. You know.
5: So is there a crowd? There is a crowd. There is a crowd. Do I see Stan? You don't. I'm going to not sit. I'm going to stand toward the back of the chairs. Okay. You know in a movie when the guy goes to the funeral that doesn't want to be seen at the funeral, Uh he's kind of amongst the trees, but he's not, he's not hiding per se. Sure. That's what I'm
1: doing. Okay. So you're amongst the trees, but there are no trees. So are you in the back in open sight of everyone? Are you going to kind of creep behind some, some, like one of the tombs that's nearby? You could probably like hide behind a column or just like stand up against a column well that's
5: I, I don't want to be conspicuous enough that if somebody saw me they would say why is that guy hiding so maybe more like just blending casually maybe i'm leaning against a mono- mausoleum nearby
1: love it yeah nothing respects the dead like leaning on them of course <laughs>
5: <laughs> okay is my other partner there do i see john lee pettymore with keith
1: you do not see john lee pettymore there oh okay Oh they thought of me. <laughs> so John Lee Pettymore the third, uh And fourth and fourth and Kevin And Kevin you are you are on the way to the city cemetery in the car with Rose Mary. And as you're driving there, she says I uh, I didn't uh, I didn't know that Charles was dead until Marvin said that we'd replaced him. And then I just looked it up on my phone and I saw that he, he died in contention. And I know that the officers, the the police there, they, they told me that they killed him, but I didn't know, I didn't know that they were serious. I I thought they might've been lying to try to get me to talk or something. I didn't, I, I just didn't know
3: that he was going to actually die.
2: I, I didn't know that you cared for nobody but yourself and the glass boy. Oh, it's, it's just you know he
1: had the same. He had the same modifications done, so I just thought that you know we were a little bit more robust than that. Does that worry you? I'm
2: not that philosophical, Rosemary. But
1: okay. I don't, I, I was trying
2: to just suss out, but like how articulate was Kevin?
1: So you guys actually never heard him talk. I would imagine that a guy like that is quite broken, but still easily, like you can communicate easily. I, I would imagine you're not going to keep him around if he's just a dog on a leash basically. So he, I think he's far cool. more, okay. uh, far more eloquent than even say Rosemary, you know, cause she's, she's when you're, when you're right next to her, you see that she's got some scars on on her as well and okay. and she's able to keep up. Got it. cool. So
2: she's had the same shit done, yeah. yeah gotcha. Basically. Okay. All right. Hold on. John John Lee Pettymore talks like this and then you fuck up his body and his mind and you put a bunch of years on it. <laughs> uh well Ro- Rosemary, I'm not that philosophical, but
1: did you think we we couldn't die? Everything dies. And you guys pull up to the city cemetery. And the city cemetery is all above ground. Like New Orleans. Exactly. So you pull into a parking lot and the two of you begin walking through all these different mausoleums and these little pathways that are winding endlessly to and fro about. And it's morning and the sun's coming in at a low angle on this fog that is perpetuating all throughout this entire cemetery as you're walking through you you smell this like nice seafood like crawfish like scent like new it smells like new orleans and following the scent the two of you see uh from a distance uh you you hear a, a, a large group of people and you see that there's a small clearing ahead where there's a funeral service set up for Ari manstein and it is surrounded by all these ornate and these these menacing, these tall graves, these tombs that are completely encasing this, uh, this little clearing, but inside there are a handful of rows of chairs that are all facing a small podium next to a coffin, and in front of the coffin is the crawfish boil. You see that there is uh, Keith Vigna sitting on the front row. How does Keith look? Has he been modified? From where you are, you can't tell whether he has been, quote, modified, but you can see that he has regained an eyeball and and his jaw (laughs) that he has regained his eyeball and his jaw. And so that is different. And he's also wearing uh, a very tight fitting orange polo, like bright orange polo and these massive coral shorts shorts. Uh, what's Keith's bod like? He's oh, st- still wearing those big pants. Yeah, and he seats, still, he still got him. Wh-
2: what's it, what's he like under that
1: tight tight polo? Stringy, I think. Yeah, be- like, beanie, beanie. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a lean muscle on him. You know, he's like a horse. That's <laughs> that seems like a high compliment. <laughs> he's like a stringy horse. <laughs> it's like a sick horse in a polo.
0: <laughs>
2: I would love to see horses play polo.
1: <laughs> Wait, on top of other horses? no, that wouldn't work. But if they had if they carried the sticks in their mouths, I was picturing horses on people, on people. who are running. Around. It wouldn't
2: work, Zach. But if you if you glued a stick to a horse's mouth and taught him to whack a ball,
1: That's far I think far they more would likely. invent polo naturally. <laughs> it's probably the first game they come up. Yeah. With
2: anthropologists look at uh, horse cultures and see if they've come up with polo to determine how advanced they
1: are Horsiculture. culture so you and rosemary horsey culture did looking- you see that brony documentary <laughs> thankfully no I do, no, don't um, you mean day
2: <laughs> oh no i'm sorry
1: So you see there are these uh, handful of rows of chairs and uh, Keith is up front. He's sitting in the very front row in front of the coffin. And as you continue to look around, uh, go ahead and roll a, a search for me. 84, fail. You notice there are lots of people here for the funeral. And in the back, leaning up against one of the mausoleums is Clark Bishop. He is wearing an old contention police uniform, like an older model uh-huh. of the contention police department uniform. Okay. And he is just leaning casually in the very back. What do you want to do?
2: Oh, first of all, did uh, is Stan Manstein in attendance?
1: Stan Manstein is not in attendance currently.
2: So I say to Rosemary, looks like our new boy didn't get his job done. I'm going to circle the perimeter and check things out. And I want to make my way towards the so-called Clark Bishop in this old uniform. Okay. Does he look natural? Is his stance Clark's stance? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's. It looks like Clark. Do I still have... No, John died in his underwear. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he didn't have a
1: cell phone. Okay. John died in his underwear. <laughs> Shot by his daddy. Where do you want to set up? Uh, Rosemary is like, I, um, I think I'm going to get some higher ground over here. She is gonna climb on top of one of the mausoleums, and uh, she's like, "I'm just gonna like lay flat and and watch." That looks r- real dumb. You look very conspicuous, but I've learned to trust
2: your methods <laughs> in our many years together. <laughs>
1: Nailed it. Convincing.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I want to walk behind uh, or walk just walk near and around that Clark Bishop. I want to be kind of unseen and I want to like cough bubblegum tree and like in the middle of a crowd and see if he looks.
1: Okay. Go ahead and roll stealth for me. Yeah. (laughs) 81.
2: My skill is 50. Yeah. I want. Okay. Yeah. We don't even need him here. I want to get behind just some people near him and kind of like playing the penis game just like bubblegum tree, bubblegum tree. Okay.
1: Yeah. That's, that's great. Does he look I'm should I go ask him maybe yeah (laughs) all right I'll be right back okay (laughs) all right Joe hey there Clark Bishop is leaning up against this mausoleum and from behind him he hears
5: bubblegum tree (laughs)
1: Whip around. When you turn around, there's a crowd around, standing around before the the funeral service actually begins. And there are people both like in front of and to the side and, and behind you. Through the small crowd behind you, you notice a face that you recognize. It's the face that you saw standing at the bar when you were in the cages hanging in that godforsaken room. In Marvin Glass's place, it is Kevin, the security guy,
5: the one who was kind of unaffected by the scene. Yes, gotcha. I see him. Does he see me?
1: Yeah, he's staring straight at you.
5: I'm. I'm. Uh, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm. I'm looking to see if I, I, anybody I know is with him. It doesn't look like it. I. I look straight at Kevin.
1: Bubble gum tree. Kevin looks away and continues walking through the crowd. Oh, shit.